and welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, pastor of Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. And this podcast is all about following Jesus and the everyday normal rhythms of life. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm kind of calling this Beyond the Sermon. This past week, uh, we are preaching through... um, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus stopped and spent some time talking about sex, lust, and adultery. And that is always a kind of a hot-button topic for our society because sex has went off the rails in our society. Um, C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, the chapter on sexuality, he said, imagine yourself going, let me, let me update his statement a little bit. Imagine yourself going to a country and you see all these people rushing into a building. You look outside your hotel room, you see all these people rushing into this building. There's a long line, there's loud music, and you could tell everybody's just really excited to be there. And so you, you've got some time to kill, so you go outside and hop in line and you, you go into this building and there's loud music and flashing lights and everybody's happy and there's a big uh, stage and the music starts and then people start getting excited and they they start anticipating and then all of a sudden the curtain begins to open up and people are on the edge of their seat and they're they're just thrilled to be there and it opens up and there on stage is a fully exposed hamburger. Now, it's almost absurd, this analogy, right? But Lewis uses this to talk about sex. He says, wouldn't you think that something in that society, something about their desire for food had gone awry? (laughs) Like, why are they treating this, um, you know, like they're starved for it or something. And he he correlates that to, to his society. And of course that's, I think it was in the, in the forties when he, when he did that. And I am, I can't even imagine what he would say today about our society because there is more sex and sexual, um, you know, more pornography, sexual content on the internet, sexual content on our movies, music, everything, than there has ever been before in the history of mankind. And yet, um, it's still not enough. And so, I think Lewis is right. Something has went wrong. Something has went off the rails. And I think that's, um, clearly, we've, lo- we've become unmoored from our Christian foundation. We've become unmoored. Um, our biblical foundation of sex, and so sex is kind of taken over, or our desire for sex is kind of taken over. And so um, we're going to spend some time today answering questions. I've got a bunch of questions from uh, several people in our, many people in our church, and uh, we're going to just go through these questions. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to teach on it at all. I'm just going to answer the questions and begin to talk about it. And uh, just in case you are in <laughs> the van picking up your kids from school or taking your kids to school. I'll just let you know. We're going to start with uh, some pretty simple things, and then we're going to get to some more um, things that are probably not age appropriate. So um, yeah, just to to beware a little bit. So hopefully you have heard uh, my sermon, and uh, it was just called, I think, uh, what was it called? Sex, Lust, and Adultery or something like that. And I begin just by laying out a biblical foundation of sex and of lust and of adultery. And so I'm going to be just jumping off that. I'm not going to be covering anything uh, from the sermon. So you need to go back and and listen to that. Uh, The first question I've got is, what are some... Well, there's two questions here. What are some age-appropriate resources to help talk about sex with our kids. And then from that, what does 
or has ongoing conversation with your kids looked like? Okay, so I'm going to give you some resources first, and um, some of these are called, I think it's, it's um, there's three books. Um, they're really small, really thin, and they're called um, God's Design for Sex, book one, two, and three. One's called like The Story of Me, the other one was Before I Was Born, and I don't know what the third one is, I couldn't figure it, find it on my shelf, it's in one of my kids' room, I think. And... Um, these are very age appropriate, and one the, the book one is from ages three to five. The book two is ages five to eight, and book three is like nine to twelve or something like that. And they're just kind of like stories that you would read at bedtime. Um, they you know the older ones do get a little awkward. I remember getting to a point with my son reading it, and he's like, "What? This is weird. I don't want to read this book." <laughs> and uh, but we did, and we we worked through it. So the the key is kind of like starting early. And just making it normal. Don't make, you know, the words um, sex or, you know, talking about their gender or talking about their private parts. Um, don't make it super weird. Talk to your kids early and uh, it won't be weird, as weird, and when they get up to the preteen age. Now, another book that has been um, really helpful is a book called Good Pictures bad pictures it's porn proofing today's young kids and um, this is just to teach kids um, what is appropriate and what is inappropriate and um, yeah and so these books talk talk about their gender they talk about their private parts they talk about inappropriate touching appropriate touching um, and so I would recommend you get all these books and start with your kids, um, you know, ages three and up. I'd start talking to them um, right away. And along with that, um, you should be having conversations with your kids about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. Um, you know, you don't want... You don't want to act like talking about their privates or something is somehow wrong or dirty or sinful. Um, but And so you want to you want your kids to know that the door is open to talk to you about that. You're not going to be prude about it. You're not going to blush about it. It's okay. But then, then there's some, these conversations are for mommy and daddy and the family. And we don't have co these conversations outside of the house. Uh, you don't talk to the neighbor kid about it. You don't talk to your teacher about it or whatever, you know. Um, and with that, there's... Um, you know, nobody touches your privates, right? Um, that's that's uh, that's inappropriate, and so we don't want we don't want to promote that. We don't want to do that. So then, if someone does a babysitter, a friend, what have you, your kid already knows what this is, already knows it's wrong and inappropriate, and we'll say no to them, and we'll probably and we'll tell you, you know, if anybody tries to do that. So those are some. Um, some ways that we, we consistently talk to our kids. Also, as they're watching movies and watching TV shows, we're always keeping uh, a really close watch on what they're watching. And if I hear anything inappropriate, we'll pause it, we'll talk about it, or we'll shut it off completely and say, this is inappropriate. Um, because obviously, when the world says something is PG-13, um, that does not mean you can let your 13-year-old watch it um, by, by any means. And so... Um, another question that goes right along with this, what are some biblical and practical ways to prepare our preteen kids to live in a culture so driven by sexuality and pornography? Um, what age should these conversations start? Again, that goes along with the first question. They should begin right away. They should be constant conversations. Um, Music is so full of sexuality. Um, obviously, you know, rap music is, is, I'll just say it, rap music is some of the worst, some of the most vulgar, some of the most vile um, music out there right now. And, you know, you, you've, you've got to um, turn your kids from that. But then, hey, country music, it's country music is getting even more sexual. And, and a lot of country music songs are about, um, you know, having sex. And, and so they're, they're inappropriate for our kids to listen to. So we have to be really 
careful about it. Um, but some practical ways so to talk to your preteen about it is to let them know when you see it, that's inappropriate, you know, turn your head. That's not a respectful way to treat women. Um, that's not honoring God with your body. And a lot of this, honestly, is coming up now because every every single book and every single show is now trying to, it like starts out the first season rather innocent, trying to hook kids in. And then they get these kids watching. And then in season two, season three, season four, they start introducing um, pornography, masturbation. They start introducing um, deviant sexual practices. So um, gender dysmorphia, you know, uh, transgenderism, bisexuality, homosexuality. And they start and they're pumping it uh, pumping it into our kids right away so that our kids see it as normal and our kids uh, our kids uh, begin to accept it. So we have to be really careful um, to talk about our kids, uh, talk to our preteen kids about homosexuality. What's wrong with it? Um, does it mean that every person's like that is evil or wicked or, or you know, or there's some, you know, quote unquote weird, um, but it is not the way God intended things and it is... Um, it's a turning away from the way God created man, man and woman. And so we, we should teach our children this because in junior high right now, um, the, the, all the schools are teaching that it's absolutely okay. It should be accepted. It should be even celebrated. You know, boys go to prom together. Girls go to prom together. They're holding hands and kissing in the hallways. This is happening in, in the quad cities in our junior highs. And so we have to prepare our kids before that, um, and just having a biblical worldview on what it um, what it looks like, and then um, I've taken my son out. You know, I take my kids on dates, and so uh, I took my son out. And we, you know, we had we we've had several conversations about about sex, about what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, uh, about you know what sex is, and and why God made it, and all these different things, and and we've had just normal conversations, and it hasn't been. Um, super, super awkward or, or, or super weird. And I want kids, I want my kids to be able to say, Hey, that's inappropriate. So I hear Javin say something to his sister, Zoe, quit it. That's inappropriate. You know, I want them to be able to have that, um, have that language, have that vernacular and holding each other, uh, to a higher standard. So if they are watching something, you know, on Netflix, then, uh, and the older brother is also helping, helping the younger kids navigate these things because we've got, and that brings up another conversation. So I've got nearly every filter you can possibly get on your phones and on, you I mean, all your devices and they're, and none of them are, are hundred percent adequate. Okay. So I have circle uh, created by Disney in our home. I, I would recommend you get that. It's only like less than, it's like 50 bucks or something. Um, I have, it on all my Wi-Fi, I have, you know, uh, language, like um, inappropriate songs, so explicit lyrics on in, in my Wi-Fi you, you can't listen to. I've got everything that Apple provides um, as far as each kid has their own profile on iPads and TVs and such, and they're all rated for their age group, and, and none of them can get um, explicit content. Um, and so... I'm, I'm using every filter kind of possible to make sure that my kids um, aren't going to stumble upon pornography or stumble upon something grossly, gross, grossly inappropriate um, because that, of course, can trigger things and can um, become an addiction really fast. And so I want to do everything in my um, possibility to limit their content um, or li limit their connection to and the possibility of getting connected to pornography. <clears throat> so those are some resources. Um, trying to think off, off the top of my head here. I don't have anything. I'm literally just, all I have in front of me is these questions. So that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try going off of them this morning. And I don't really have any, I didn't have anything written up. Question. You mentioned towards the end of the sermon that as Christians... There are some things we may just not be able to participate in because of obvious sexualization and lust 
that's brought forth or portrayed in things like movies and shows. How does this same idea translate to things like social media and the sexualization on those platforms? I think it translates one-to-one. Um, there are some shows and movies that are blatantly sexual and Christians should not watch them, um, period, okay? Let's just say, let's start at the worst, right? Let's start at just pornography. There is no redemptive value in pornography. Pornography should re be rejected 100%, okay? Well, now working back from that, there's going to be a line somewhere. And I, I think for each person that line needs to be um, subjectively drawn somewhere. It's subjective. It's based upon your personal um, disposition. How sensitive are you to lust? Now listen, I'm going off of, this is a theoretical discussion here because I... Um, you know, here, here's what I mean. I've had conversations with people, men and women, who say they are not um, motivated to lust by watching things like Game of Thrones, okay? I watched one or two episodes. Um, actually, I read, one, I read the first book, and... I was I, I lusted by just by reading the book and I was like okay crap and I watched one episode and be like nope can't I I can't watch this show, um, and so, but there's there's people there's Christians that say oh I watch everything it's not a big deal it's it's and I don't mean to to, to say that I don't think they're lying, um, you know I, I can, so maybe they're not as sensitive to the naked body for whatever reason, um, I I I don't understand that. So the line for me is back past, or, you know, is before Game of Thrones. I'm just telling you that. And so I can't watch, I can't watch shows like that. Um, and I think social media, um, I, again, it's, it's one-to-one. There are some people who can watch some things that it doesn't, quote-unquote, trigger their lust. It doesn't drive them down black holes of search history things. And so each person has to decide where they're going to draw the line. Now, for me personally, in August, early August, like the first few days of August, um, I got off of all social media um, whatsoever. And um, I still uh, use YouTube a little bit, and, uh, but I'm off of all social media. Now, that was partially because of um, sexuality and sexual content, because it's just too too easy. Um, people were sliding into my DMs with um, illicit content. And then even, you know, people that I follow from our culture would post things on there that are, you know, not nudity, but they're, they're, they're rather revealing. And it would just cause my mind to go down that rabbit trail of what, hmm, I wonder what that person looks like naked. I want. And so I'd, I'd have to, uh, pull back from that, right? Um, but the the main reason um, I've ditched social media is because I've I've deemed it to be of no value to human interaction any longer, and I think it's actually the number one cause for the social division in our society. And Christians are participating in it because they think they can have a redemptive presence there. And honestly. I, I just don't know if it's if it's actually possible anymore and uh, this election cycle was enough to uh, to kill me so so I think uh, Christians need to be very wary of social media in general and with uh, with the media that we listen to following up from that if giving up the freedoms of social media are wise and you're fleeing from sexual temptation, then how does the Christian engage the culture with the gospel instead of appearing to separate oneself from culture? 
Well, that's a good question. And, um, but uh, that's a good question. So let me, let me say that first. Um, I would say we're always any, and we're, I don't want to just use the culture as this blanket term. We're talking about artifacts of the culture or cultural art artifacts, things the culture is producing. Now, every cultural artifact that's observable, Christians must evaluate that artifact and say, is this, does this glorify God? Is this neutral? Or should this be rejected? So you've heard me talk about this before. Can I receive this as a good from God? Is this morally neutral that I need to be careful with? And I need to, to weigh some things, good and bad, and balance it? Or is this a negative that I need to reject? Like pornography. Pornography is a cultural artifact. That should be rejected wholesale. Um, social media is a cultural artifact. I believe that social media lies somewhere in the middle, but I think it's leaning and it's being pulled towards towards that um, towards a, a rejection. Let me just say that where Christians probably should reject it. And off the top of my head, let me give you a cult, a, a few reasons. One, um, I think social media is manipulating you. I think it is um, targeting your needs, your desires, your wants, that it literally knows you better than you know yourself. And so it's targeting you for materialism. It's targeting you for the type of news, the type of interaction that's going to um, keep you online the longest. It's not giving you what's best, what's true, what's right. It's giving you what will keep you hooked the longest? Um, one social media expert, a guy you know, started working at Facebook. He wrote, he 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 directed the movie The Social Dilemma. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast. He talked about here's an example: if a mother joins a, a young mother joins the group breastfeeding moms on Facebook, what do you think the next group that Facebook will recommend? The goal again is to keep their attention the longest. So the next one is an anti-vaccine group. That's the next rec recommended uh, group for that, that person. Why? Because that is a rabbit hole. That's a rabbit hole that's going to suck them in to, to spending more time online. So I think um, social media should be rejected for that reason. I think social media um, should be rejected for the, the way it's destroying human relationships. You get a semblance of connection but you can't have long form conversations and it's and you're more prone to say um, things in in a way that turns people off that starts fights that's I mean that's short that's easy to understand and yet that's not nuanced and is a caricature of the other person and I just think it, it, it sparks division and then third because of the 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 merging of all two of those two things that I said, kind of how it's marked, how it knows you better than you know yourself. It knows your needs and it knows how to get that information in front of you or that sexual explicit things in front of you. So for a long time, I tried to use social media and I just was had a lot of rules for myself and a certain amount of time and and uh, and it might it would go off and I, and I blocked explicit content and yet the explicit content always found me whether it was some fake person friend request on Facebook whether it was somebody sliding into my DMs whether it was um, email sent whatever it is they they the the pornographers know how to hack the system, know how to get around the system. And so it's once a month, I, somebody would always slide something in, into my stuff. And I would, and I would, and I, it just, it was driving me crazy. So, so eventually off the top of my head, those are three, three reasons why I think you should get rid of, um, get rid of social media. And I think it's, um, it's not isolating ourselves from culture it's removing a piece, uh, it's a, removing a cultural artifact that is deforming us into the image of consumeristic, 
individuals and not in the image of uh, people who follow follow Jesus. Okay, next question. How should a couple approach moving forward if the things mentioned in the sermon, adultery, porn, use, abuse, have already been present in the marriage and there is a lingering hurt or lack of trust? Again, that is a great question. And um, this is going to be a very general answer, I think, because that's a general question. Um, the first thing I would say is, you know, what is the severity of what you're talking about? Um, if a person, had, you know, occasionally looks at pornography or has struggled with pornography, um, your response to that and moving forward from that is a lot different than some, you know, if if a husband is sexually abusing his wife, okay? Those are, those are two different things. And so the first thing I would do, I, we would need to do is to diagnose the severity of, of what's going on. And moving forward is going to, to look a lot different. So um, let me just give, let me give three examples. Um, let's just say the, uh, a husband is occasionally looking at porn. How often is occasional? I don't know. Let me say uh, once a month, okay? And how do you move forward from that? Well, I think the husband should um, confess that to um, his missional community leader. I think the husband should, or pastor, um, and the husband, or his fight club, and the husband should... Um, talk with them about it and seek a way uh, moving forward. Um, if this is, now this is where um, I differ from, from a lot of people. I don't necessary, necessarily believe that a husband needs to confess to his wife every time he looks at pornography. Um, and the main reason I don't, I don't think that should be the case is because of how hurtful that is to the wife specifically. Um, and so I think that he should confess to his fight club. I think he should confess to a pastor. I think he can confess to somebody that can walk with him through that. And, um, and let me just go off on this because people, there's a lot of questions on how to get over porn, how to get through porn, uh, how to defeat porn. And there's, and this is a huge issue right now in our society. Um, that there, there are many people who are absolutely addicted to pornography. They're addicted to masturbation. They're addicted to the feeling that it gives them, the sense of control, um, the sense of pleasure. And it's ruining our society in many different ways. I gave uh, three ways in my sermon, but it's, it's ruining far more than that. Um, it's literally rewiring men's brains and women's brains, um, redirecting them to to pleasure, uh, and that's away from humanity, it's away from humans, away from their spouse, and and towards um, a screen, which is detrimental to their soul, detrimental to their their future, their wife, etc. So, how should a man um, get over a porn addiction? Well, again, there's levels to this, and if this is like an everyday porn addiction, then you're you're more than likely going to need a counselor. You're going to need you might need a treatment program. Um, you're going to need something more than just a buddy or an, a, a or even a pastor, because there's going to be a lot of difficult work. It's going to be just as tough as getting off of crack cocaine or getting off of alcohol, um, getting off of pornography. And there's groups out there to help you. Um, but one, one way to get off of pornography is to kind of pull back from your life and just say, who do I want to be um, five years down the road? And if you want to be a man who his wife is his standard of beauty, who has, or a wife, and, uh, and you want your wife or your husband to be your standard of beauty, you want to have a great sex life, you want to be whole sexually and not 
uh, not perverted, not addicted, not, um, you know, prone to, to over-sexualizing every um, opposite-sex relationship in your life. Um, if you want to have a family, if you want to be to be able to lead your kids, one day you're going to have to have the sex conversation with your son. And how are you actually going to do that if you're still addicted to pornography? Um, you want to be a man who's a master, who's mastered his his drives, that you're not addicted to anything, or a woman not addicted to anything. If you want to be that person five years from now, um, you got to start. You got to start right now, and you got to look and say, "That's who I want to be," and that vision of your future self, that vision of your freedom can help you um, get over some of your lust and your addictions today. Um, Something pops up on your screen and you can literally ask yourself, if I click on this, is this going to make me into the man that I want to be or the woman that I want to be? And I'll tell you, that is a powerful deterrent um, from, from sexuality. I mean, just... Just the thought of my son and having this conversation with my son, and I can't encourage my son to freedom, encourage my son to maturity and uh, sexual fidelity. If I'm not myself being, uh, you know, be, uh, if I'm not my, my myself being pure, that keeps me from clicking on that thing. Okay. Now, secondly, so that, so envision the future that you want to be. Okay, and really, and I would say build this out. You might even want to write it down. Um, the man of God that you want to be. Make a covenant with your eyes like Job or the woman. The woman. Write it out. Get really clear. What do you want to look like? Secondly, uh, Jordan Peterson kind of talks about this. Scare yourself with the consequences of not following through. Now, is this using fear as a motivator? A little bit, a little bit, but let, hear me out. There's a lot of consequences written in the Bible. I mean, just read the book of Proverbs. I mean, this is the tactic used in the Proverbs. Like, beware of that woman whose lips drips with oil. Like, she's got death, basically, in her back room. You know, she's leading you like a stag to the slaughter. So, play out. If you you go ahead and keep clicking on this, play out what might happen. Okay? You, You get addicted to it. You... Like what, like what happens most of the time with, with pornography, you need harder and weirder and more um, obscure and deviant stuff to get you turned on. And that's going to that's gonna lead you down a really dark path. You're going to be spiritually weak all the time. You're going to dist- feel distant from God. Your relationship with God's going to be broken. Eventually, that lust is going to breed either fornication or adultery in your heart. So you're going to either prevent yourself from from marrying the right person you're going to hurt the future spouse that you're that you're pursuing you're going to break up that marriage you're going to ruin your family you're going to ruin your future and ultimately you could possibly send yourself to hell this is what Jesus said cut off your hand gouge out your eye he's like literally trying to scare you into it so write that out i mean you could get really detailed with that if you if you want so First out, write out who do you want to be and the positives of, of being a godly man or woman who doesn't look at pornography. Secondly, what's the, what's the opposite of that? If I do continue to give in and I continue to let sin master me, what's going to happen to me? And third, write out a good gospel mantra, a good gospel paragraph to that, that both reminds you so that you can go to when you fail, okay? Um, I think I think if you have an idea that you will never see another naked body other than your wife or spouse in your life and that's that's the that's the top goal. My goal is to be so pure that I'll never, you know, never lust again, or I'll never see a naked body again. Honestly, I, I think, I think maybe the only way that could be the case is if you threw away all technology. Um, I honestly think that's because of the way I got a random text message a few weeks ago and it was a random text message and it was just a link. Now I get, 
I get random messages a lot from somebody who gave my number to somebody and they send me a video to watch about, you know, Marxism or whatever they want me to see. And not everybody has my number. So I get those a lot. I clicked on the link and it went right to some kind of pornography. It was, I don't know how they got it. You know, just like they get your, your, your number for political things or whatever, but, but they got it. So, so I think, and so what happens? You look at that and immediately that makes me mad because it's like, dang it. I hadn't seen a naked body in, you know, this many months other than my wife, other than my wife, this many months. And now you just reset that. Like you just reset the counter for me and that, that ticks me off. So what do I have to do? I have to have a gospel reminder that I am not my sin, that Jesus knows that I'm a sinner, that Jesus paid for all my sin on the cross, that Jesus knows my frame. He knows exactly all of my weaknesses. He knows the world that I'm in. He loves me right where I'm at. He's given me grace to cover all my sin. He's empowered me with the Holy Spirit. The fact that this ticks me off and that, and, I, and I hate this and I'm mad about this sin and I'm mad about uh, this sexual, this overly sexualized, you know, pornography or whatever that's made its way to me. That's evidence that, that the Spirit has at work in me. And so I put my faith once again in the gospel and, you know, I, I keep moving forward. I think we need all three of those pieces, okay, when we're dealing with sexuality, when we're dealing with pornography addictions. Or, and, and, and now, on top of all of that, we need restrictions on our phone. So put, put a, uh, an explicit blocker on your iPhone and give the password to your account, accountability partner or missional community leader. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a, a great way to do it. If, if you are if you are majorly addicted, get rid of your cell phone, get a flip phone. Um, I, I would take that kind of serious um, serious approach that you Jesus says that's how serious you got to be cut your hand off, cut your eye out. So I think you should take that kind of serious approach. Okay. So there there are some things on pornography. I think in the future I'm gonna I'll do a whole podcast just on pornography because this this is already going to get really long, I can tell. So I'm going to. Um, okay, and then you talked about how do you move forward after adultery. Um, again, there's levels to this. Moving forward after adultery, you definitely need to involve an elder, a pastor, and a counselor. And it's going to be difficult on both sides of the, of the, of the scenario to move forward. Uh, but the gospel is big enough to forgive, and the gospel is big enough to move forward. And so we need to call both sides towards repentance. That the, the, the guilty party has got to be repentant and got to um, want to change and desire to, to um, seek forgiveness and, 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 and work it out. And the offended party has also got to give grace, that it's a failure to believe the gospel if you just immediately cut that person off and say, nope, you're dead to me, you're done, uh, I'm not moving forward anymore. <clears throat> Another question, Eve being Adam's standard of beauty is a beautiful and desirable picture, but it is, only, it is one that seems so far out of reach due to the airbrushed perfection that husbands and wives encounter every day. What are some good scriptures or gospel reminders when the comparison game becomes an issue and insecurities arise? Hmm. This has got to be written from a woman's perspective. <laughs> I don't know who wrote it, but it's got to be written from a woman's perspective. Um, because we're talking about um, the comparison game becomes an issue and insecurities arrive, arise. Well, first off, <clears throat> I don't think um, your husband or your wife being a standard of beauty is actually um, far out of reach. Um, and here's why I say that. Um, when I grew up, my mom had a whole cabinet full of Little Debbie products. And I lived off of Little Debbie's. No, no doubt, no joke. Until like my sophomore year in college, I think. And honestly, I, I was... I, 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 probably lived off of them until I was about 30 years old. 
lived off of sugar, lived off fast food, lived off garbage food. And, and then when I turned 30, uh, I started eating cleaner. And then I met Dr. Alex and I learned, you know, and he in, in, in informed me on some of the things with, going on with food and the way it affects your, your, you hormonally and mentally and physically and all this kind of stuff. And I just dismissed him. I'm like, you are a freaking crazy person. There ain't no way I can live without, without a lot of sugar in my life. I like white bread. I like sugar, et cetera, et cetera. And then I started working out and I realized, and then I would go on a diet for a while and be paleo or eat clean. And I realized how much better I felt when I was eating clean. And then eventually, I don't even know when it happened, but after a couple of years of that, my diet just became quote unquote clean. And I don't ever drink soda. I don't, I hardly ever, uh, you know, have little Debbie products. We never buy them. You know, I'll have, I take my kids to donuts every Saturday. Um, but I eat clean most of the time. And here's the thing. And I enjoy it. I don't miss it. Now I, I'll have a dessert occasionally and I'll go to Whitey's occasionally, but it's like a treat. It's not a, it's not a staple of my everyday life. And I'm equating that to a standard of beauty in the same way. When you take out all the junk food, right? When you take out all the junk food, the real food just tastes better. It actually does taste better. And this is why I drink uh, LaCroix all the time. And people are like, oh my gosh, that's so disgusting. I can't believe I, when, when somebody says that to me, I'm like, oh, you drink pop, don't you? They're like, yeah, like, exactly. You take pop out and you're only drinking, you know, you know, unsweetened tea or you're drinking water. LaCroix tastes amazing. It tastes amazing. And so I say the same thing. If you take out pornography, if you take out Instagram, if you take out Facebook and all the filters, if you take out all of that kind of garbage, then it's a lot easier for your wife or for your husband to be your standard of beauty because Facebook and Instagram has so um, acclimated our eyes to seeing something that's not real that when we look upon our spouse and we see a crease, we see a wrinkle, we see a, a fold, we see, we see some, you know, a, a dimple, we see something that, that doesn't look like Instagram, it, it, it turns us off. It turns us off. Well, if you stop looking at that airbrushed bullcrap, it won't. If you deprive yourself of that, when you see your spouse uncovered and naked, you will be turned on again. And, and what you should do, men, it, or women, when you when they do uncover themselves, is you should be like Adam and say, "Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you look so freaking good. You turn me on. I am into you. You are sexy. You are. You should be verbally giving compliments like this every time your spouse gets naked in front of you, um, and that will do what this question asks: How how can you deal with the insecurities? Husbands need to be building up their wives. Bottom line, wives need to be building up their husbands. I, and, and, um, and you should be having conversations about what you enjoy and what turns you on. Um, I, will, I will say this. Um, no one is turned on by laziness, right? Or slobbiness or dirtiness. So if you are prone to being dirty, slobbish, or lazy, you should repent for all three of those things, and you should pursue cleanliness, you should pursue orderliness, and you should pursue um, uh, dutifulness, or, or studiousness, or hard working, so you should start working out, you know what I mean? You should start working out, um, Yeah. period. I, I think, now, and again, this, this is all, there's levels to this, nobody's saying you got to be a bronze god, right? But, if you've totally let yourself go, then you should repent and go get yourself back <laughs> and pursue healthiness and pursue vibrancy. And you should clean yourself well. This might be obnoxious to some of you hearing your pastor say this, but um, listen, it's the smell of, of stank, right? The smell of body odor, the smell of just a stench is an immediate turnoff. And so you should take a shower, bottom line, right? Before you should want any action, right? That's, that, that's, that's pretty simple. Um, so 
that's some ways that you can be encouraged that your spouse become uh, your standard of beauty. And again, yeah, I think that means probably spending less time looking at Instagram, less time watching uh, inappropriate shows. And that's how I said, that's another way porn has so formed um, our society. You go back 30 years ago, porn stars, maybe 40, I don't know what it was. Porn stars were the only ones getting breast implants. Porn stars were the only one getting butt implants. Porn stars were the only one blowing their lips up to look like balloons. Porn stars were the only ones getting Botox shoved into their every crevice of their body, right? But now who's doing it? Anyone. Teenagers are doing it. Teenagers are doing it. And why? To look like porn? I mean, it, it's all downstream from pornography. And so, yes, uh, we should reject that standard of beauty and we should embrace... Um, we should brace um, our, our spouse. And men should be, and women both, should be really good at complimenting your spouse and letting them know how beautiful they are, how into them you are, and how thankful you are to God for them, for their sexuality, um, for their intimacy. Okay. Another question about access to pornography, and this is specifically keeping kids and screens away from pornography. Yeah, my my family, I think, um, I think you should keep screens away from kids kind of as much as possible and be and really be limited. So I have uh, the Ten Commandments of technology in our home, and I can't go through those right now. I might have a podcast if you go back in the back or in the early days, I might have a podcast on it. Um, but yeah, we try to limit, uh, our screens from our kids as much as possible. And the older kids that want to use screens, they have to read to get screens. So if they want to watch TV for an hour, they have to read for an hour first. Um, and again, like we've got limits on all of that because I can't tell you how many parents have contacted me. Their eight year old, their 10 year old went over to a friend's house and saw pornography on their tablet, um, went to grandma's house, saw pornography on their cell phone. Um, it's, it's prevalent in our schools. Um, and so parents have to be very careful. And your kid, it is not a human right to use technology. It is not a human right to have a cell phone. And your preteen probably does not need a cell phone and and it's and I, listen parent i love you but this is one of the stupidest things we do the kid comes home all my friends have cell phones i don't care remember that old thing if your friends jumped off a bridge would you like we don't care what their friends do having a cell phone is not a human right when you give the kid a cell phone you're giving them access to pornography you're that's what you're that's literally what you're doing you're literally giving them access to pornography. So you got to be, a kid earns the right to have a cell phone. He earns the right through his development of virtue. So until you see the virtue of self-control in a kid, don't you dare give him a cell phone. It's far more dangerous to give him a cell phone that he's going to get addicted to pornography than it is to not know where he's at at 7 o'clock at night when he's at school at a, a school function. We lived for decades with payphones and not knowing where our kids were, and it was okay. They, so you need to do some assessment, some risk assessment. It's a higher and a, it's a greater risk to your children's souls to have access to pornography, and not just that, that these little preteens are sexting one another. The boys are texting girls, and, and they're texting girls like 10-year-old kids are texting each other pictures of their genitals and asking the other ones to text them back pictures of them nude and naked. And parents, they, they have apps that they know how to get around your snooping. They know how to put it in their notes file. They know how to use Snapchat. They know how to use disappearing pictures. They know how to use different things that get around the ways that we're trying to watch them and spy on them and pick up their phone. They know how to do it. And so I say, be very careful. Don't get your kid a cell phone um, until they have developed um, virtue. 
All right. Now, here's another. Here's a good question. How do you handle competing needs or love languages? Competing, okay, love languages, first off, I'm not a huge fan of love languages. I think it's helpful in one sense, and I think it's a new legalism in the other. I think it's anti-gospel. Um, first off, it's helpful to know, okay, my wife encourages, my wife likes words of affirmation, my wife likes gifts, that's her number one love language. Okay, that's that's really helpful. Here's the reality, love does all those things, okay? You should you should love when you love your wife. You buy her a nice presents for for a birthday. You spend you you make sure you take her out to night nice restaurants and nice dates, and you 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 do nice things for your anniversary. You should also say nice things and compliment your wife often. You should also serve your wife, and taking care of the kids and giving her time away and and making sure she can go to fight club. You should serve your wife in a lot of different ways. You should do acts of service. You should. Uh, so so my my point is love does all those things. Okay, so you should be doing those things. So yeah, it's helpful to know what's most beneficial to her. How does she speak? You know, how does she, what's her language? But it's also a new legalism, and I've seen so many Christian cult, uh, couples put it up as a new law, and say, "Well, my my love language is words of affirmation, and you haven't said one good thing to me all day, so nope, no sex for you." Okay, that's a sin. That's a sin against your spouse. That's a new legalism. It's a new standard of morality that says, if you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. That's not how Christ loves you. That's not how God loves you. That's anti-gospel. That should have no place in a Christian marriage. Okay? Um, and so, I don't really think it's helpful, honestly. I don't think the, I don't think the love languages are that helpful. Um, or, you know, i got to spend 20 minutes cuddling my wife before we can have sex. Or, I've got to do seven chores and then if I do seven chores on the off the chore chart, then woohoo, it's a sex night, baby. All of that is legalism and should be utterly rejected. Okay? Now, when I said in my sermon, how often should we be having sex? And I said, one standard that Christians should have is they should never deny each other. Now that scripture is specifically from 1 Corinthians 7. Do not deny one another. Okay, I said that can be woodenly applied and even abusively applied, right? And it, and, and here's here's what here's an example of why you don't marry an unbeliever. If you marry an unbeliever, a guy who doesn't believe the gospel and isn't living out of his gospel identity and isn't living out of a grace-centered identity, he reads that never deny, and he becomes a tyrant. Hey, I, I expect sex, you know. At five fifteen every single day, and at nine fifteen every single night, you know, and, and he comes in, he just he's just demanding. Okay, that it, it clearly it can be a, it abused like that, um, but that's not how it's meant to be. This is a gospel husband who's loving his wife. He's meeting her needs in other areas. He's providing for her. He's shepherding the children. He's he's being a good um, a good provider and and a good soulmate and and uh, a good leader. And so when he wants to have sex, um, she doesn't make excuses. The kids are on my nerves. I have a headache. My back hurts. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Um, she says, she, she says, okay, let's do it. Now, this question goes on. Well, what do you do about, and other people have asked too, well, what's appropriate for the marriage bed? The Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. What does that mean? What, what acts are appropriate? What are acts are inappropriate? Um, and you know, if she's, you know, if she's on her, uh, on her cycle, what do, what do I do? You know, well, and it's just straight up is oral sex sinful or is oral sex. Okay. Um, biblically, I think oral sex is permissive. I think oral sex is okay. I think, um, and so I think, yeah, I think go for it now. That's also going, you know, it's going to be dependent upon upon your spouse. Are they, are they, it's going to depend on a lot of things. The stuff I've already said before about being a person of good hygiene, uh, but also it's dependent upon how, you know, how comfortable your spouse is with that and what they're comfortable with. Now, 
Another question here. What is there certain positions that are off limits? Uh, positions? Um, I would say I would say no. I would say obviously you need to be responsible. You need to be creating a safe space in your home. Obviously, you need to have a lock on your door. Um, you know, you need to create a place where your wife is comfortable and the kids aren't going to bust in. Um, there, there is standards of decency. You know, it's you know it's indecent to you know be having sex that where you could be visible from neighbors and things like that. You you know outside stuff like that. It's indecent. And then, really, um, the the things that are that are denied in Scripture specifically is you know what the Bible calls sodomy, and sodomy is most simply um, anal sex, and so anal sex is uh, is off limits. Christians should not participate in anal sex. Um, in one of the books that I'm reading on premarital sex in America. It says this is a 20th and 21st century phenomenon created by pornography that men who watch pornography ask to have anal sex. And so that is something that's off limits for Christians. That's something that should be denied. Um, and so that, you know, the, 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 porno, the porno should not make its way into the Christian bed. So... Um, a, a Christian woman asked me, my husband watches pornography and wants us to enact that, wants us to reenact that. It, it turns him on. Should I do that? And I said, absolutely not. That's a sin. That's that's a lust. And that's bringing that into uh, the marriage bed. <clears throat> um, so there are, there is that. And this one is: Are there certain sexual positions that are ungodly, or are there more go- or more godly than others? No, uh, there's not. There's again, uh, there's nothing. There's there's no standard here, there, or as far as like a, a ranking system of most godly uh, to godly. This is when Scripture says the the marriage bed is undefiled. Uh, the marriage bed is meant to be fun. The marriage bed you're you're meant to explore and have fun. Uh, here's one thing that I would say, um, and, and this is not, when I say the partners should not deny one another, I am not just speaking on behalf of men. Um, I have had many women come up to me and, and tell me that their husband is denying them, um, more than likely because he's looking at pornography, maybe he's lost his libido and he has health, he has health issues and he needs to go and he needs to go to see a doctor, or you know, there's, there could be a lot of different reasons. So this is not like just for the men or just, this is for both. Um, there's a lot of women out there that really enjoy sex. And here's something I always tell the people that I'm counseling. Men, your job, and this is, a, I tell them, the goal of the honeymoon is for your wife to have as many orgasms as possible. <laughs> that's the goal of the honeymoon. And that is meant to set the foundation for a phenomenal uh, sex life in marriage. Too many men are only worried about having an orgasm themselves rather than having your wife's first experiences with you, you know, orgasmic and, and pleasurable. And too many men are only worried about having an orgasm themselves and not about um, being self-sacrificial and making sure their wife has an orgasm um, before they do. And I would say this this goes for Every time that you have sex, you should either ask your wife or, or you know, you know yeah, just I would say just kind of ask her wife or know if she's into it, know what she wants. Because some, sometimes she wants to have one. Sometimes it's fine to have a quickie. It's, you've got 20 minutes before the kids are home from school. You got, you know, whatever it is. You're both, you're both, uh, you both got to take a shower at the same time. So you're going to knock two birds out with one stone. That's okay, too. But if she's, but don't let your selfishness drive your sexual experiences. So men, it's not just about you, it's about your spouse. So I think every time you you engage sexually, you should make sure if she wants to um, have an, have an orgasm, you're actually putting in the work and putting in the time to make sure 
that happens. And if you do, your sex life is going to be so much better. All right, you know what? I think this is all of the questions. Again, I don't know how long this podcast was. Pretty long, an hour long. Goodness. Um, if you've got more questions, you can go ahead and email me at, pa- at, jo- at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. Hope I answered uh, some questions for you. I hope this was helpful to you. Please uh, like our podcast, share it wherever you can share it, <clears throat> and uh, rate us on the podcast app. That would really help us. Um, you get this information into more people, help them help us. So I love you guys. I'm praying for you. God bless you. Thank you.